There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. to the Eternity Archives, an actual play podcast where we play a whole bunch of different TTRPGs and try to keep the multiverse in order. My name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them. And before we jump into this episode with the rest of the intros and our recap, I have some announcements. So first off, I just wanted to thank our donors and supporters. Um, so shout out to Martha and Niffelheim. Seriously, thank you guys so much for your support. Like, honestly, it means a lot that people like our podcast enough to give us money. That's that's really sick and awesome. And also shout out to Hunter, who is our first shop purchase. Yay! Woo! Yeah, enjoy your stickers, Hunter. Secondly, while we do have our next arc decided, we're actually going to be taking a small little break. It's going to be a two episode break from the main feed. Our next episode will be a crossover ep between a bunch of different B-Gay Roll Dice cast members uh, playing Pathfinder, and it's going to be GM'd by our lovely network founder Derry uh, and actually uh, Ziva was kind of our representative there would you be able to give us a, a quick summary of what this whole crossover episode is about yeah absolutely um, so the the episode is about uh, a multi-dimensional wrestling competition where a whole bunch of be gay roll dice characters and NPCs get pulled into a different universe and are forced to wrestle um, a variety of wacky guest stars I am on this crossover crossover episode. Um, and of course, I am me. And I talk a little bit about the Eternity Archives. But most importantly, um, Linda is one of the characters that gets pulled into this multidimensional wrestling competition. So if you've ever wanted to know what Linda would be like as a wrestler, um, and if you want to know if Linda makes new friends with some of these other network characters, spoiler alert, she does because she always makes friends. Um, yeah, go ahead and give that a listen. It was an absolute blast to record. Everyone's characters were so much fun. Derry did an awesome job creating a really, really fun world for us to um wrestle with if you'll excuse the pun um oh, sorry oh god sorry <laughs> and then after that we're going to be doing a retrospective episode to celebrate our one-year anniversary which was actually at the beginning of july it's not going to be nearly as exciting as be gay roll dice space jam wrestling but it should still be pretty good so look forward to that and then finally, last but not least, the Eternity Archives made it into the New Jersey Web Festival for the category of Fiction Podcast. And we're actually joined by some pretty big names, as well as our beloved sibling podcast, Sword of Symphonies. So yeah, that's a that's a big one. Super, super excited about that. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah. This is it's it's awesome. I feel really honored that we've been included. And I think I'm speaking for all of us when I say that. It, it's rad as hell, y'all. 
So we actually don't know too much about that. I think nominations and whatnot will be announced later. But, you know, uh, the more we find out, the we'll relay that information to y'all. But yeah, thank you for listening to us all this time and also bearing with us during this intro. Now it is time for the actual intro to the episode. So to round out our kind of mini tokusatsu hero themed questions of the past few episodes, what were guys theme songs be? Hi, uh, I'm Siva, and my pronouns are she, her. As mentioned a little bit earlier, I play Linda, the lovable, friendship-focused human office lady. Let me see. If I had a theme song, it would probably be a song by The Darkness, because they're my absolute (laughs) favorite band in the whole universe. They've put out many, many more songs than just I Believe in a Thing Called Love, although I cannot deny that I Believe in a Thing Called Love is an absolute banger. Um, So I probably would choose Open Fire by The Darkness because it's just a very badass song and they don't sing about anything too goofy. They don't sing about like aliens abducting them or anything like that. So I think that's like a good theme song for a pumped up battle. So I think that's what it would be. Hi, I'm Dorka. My pronouns are she, her. I play Zen, Red Ranger lizard lady, who is gonna throw down some more. And my theme song is absolutely 100% Invincible by Pat Benatar. (laughs) I knew it was gonna be Pat Benatar. That's a good one. I know, me too. Y'all always know what my answers are gonna be to these questions. I don't know if that's like a good thing or if I'm just getting predictable. But anyway, uh, Ziva's actually the one who introduced me to Pat Benatar. I went to my first Pat Benatar concert with her and I've been to like five or six more since Holy crap. (laughs) Yeah, I have seen Pat Benatar in concert many times. Uh, I love her and uh, Invincible is like my all time favorite song. And it is also like a hyped up music for a uh, battle scene. So it's it's a very good song. Yeah, Yeah, all the way. Pat Benatar is awesome. Hi, my name is Ember. My pronouns are they, them, and she, her. And I am playing Hope, the planner traveler who has ended up uh, semi-stuck in the library and is the Black Ranger for this art. My theme song is Zoom by Last Dinosaurs uh, because it came on my Spotify Discover like two or three years ago and I heard it and I was just like, yep, this is this is it. This is my jam. This <laughs> this is the one jam I am going to have for the rest of my life, and I am okay with that because to me it sounded like if a TV show, like an American TV show, had an anime intro. Oh, sick! I don't I don't know. It just it just really stuck out to me. Uh, Hope, of course, has a couple of different theme songs, but I'm gonna hold those as a secret for later. If you want to find out, you have to find me on Twitter and ask me, and I'll tell you. But first, you have to find me. <laughs> So here's the thing. I was like thinking of what my theme song would be. And then I came up with a joke answer and I forgot to come up with like a follow up, actually sincere answer. So that's an egg on my face. So my joke answer is Break Stuff by Limp Biscuit. Now I don't have a real answer. <laughs> I'm going to suggest the song of the summer of every year from Carly Rae Jepsen's hit 2015 album, Emotion, Run Away With Me, just because honestly, that should be everybody's theme song. Oh, that's a really good song. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go go there are intros uh and the theme songs so last episode uh we had gotten into another scuffle and this time we actually transformed and everyone did their super cool intros and and poses and freaking kicked butt and then they summoned their mechs you guys managed to beat shark hand man door car door <laughs> but after that uh you all sailed away uh rescuing the folks on the ship and you made your way to anchor's edge where you met
met the other commanders of the resistance and came up with a plan to recover the lost regalia gem. Y'all headed out to, you know, meet this rogue ranger in battle. Um, and that's where we are now. Are you guys ready to finish off this arc? Let's do it. Yes. Yes. All right, let's go. Zen is still in her mech, and I assume they can also sort of speak over loudspeaker. And Zen is just like, Hey there, I don't think you're supposed to be here. When you say hey there, they give like a little two-fingered casual salute. And at your statement, they kind of like tilt their head to the side, just like questioningly. Even though they didn't say anything, there's like a gentle shake of their shoulder. It's almost like they kind of laughed at that. Well, that's not very polite. (laughs) What are you doing out here? They don't flip me off, do they? That would really hurt (laughs) Linda's feelings. Oh, no. Now I know Linda's weak point. Um... (laughs) They kind of bob their head back and forth as of like contemplating whether they actually want to answer your question. And they kind of do that scoff thing again. And their voice is kind of like, there's like a reverberation to it. Because if they're a bad guy in a Power Rangers show, it needs to have the bad guy reverberation. Naturally. And they're just kind of like, couldn't I ask you the same thing? No. Well, we asked you first. You could. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really any of your business. Idiots. Wow. <laughs> that is uncalled for. Like, it's, it's, it's very literally our business. Let me rephrase this. I see you have a journal. Did the library send you? Couldn't this just be a book? Follow-up question. It seems you've gotten your hands on one of these keys that no one knew existed. Wow, you guys scoring real high on those perception checks, huh? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look, you just give us what we want, or we take it, and then we all get out of here. Together. They kind of, like, pause at that. Like, when you say together, they're just like, what? (laughs) Zen assumes that this person's not supposed to be here either, so... At this moment, they would be like, yeah, that's a no from me. Then I suppose we're just going to have to fight. No scales off my back. Oh, that actually would be a great souvenir. Good idea. Holy shit. (laughs) So yeah, if you guys want to transform now, you can do it. And this is the part where you can use your kind of uh, catchphrases after you finish your transformation. And that's kind of when you like announce yourself. Is this the roll call? Yes, the roll call. So, so like before, Linda is going to spend a token to transform when danger appears and is going to hold her rapier into the air and that swirl of golden light, golden glittery light is going to come out of the ground and swirl around her. And then uh, standing in her pose, now in her suit, she's going to say, the shining narwhal or an orange. (laughs) I love it. Hope's going to go next because we all know Red has to transform last. <laughs> so Hope goes ahead and, and starts her transformation sequence. And it's exactly the same one as, as before. Where she runs to the various barriers and, and puts the suit on. And then at the end of it, she calls out the Wandering Runner, Orin Black. So Zen uh, does the, the transformation again with the tip of her cutlass on the ground. And this time she like spins in a circle, basically tracing a circle on the ground around her. And then that column of water engulfs her again, uh, and she transforms within the steam. And when she emerges, uh, she announces the title Salamander, or in red. All right, what is everyone's poses? Mine's almost like a like a Tron pose. 
except... <laughs> oh, like you're holding the thing, like the disc up? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Except that she's got one hand on her rapier raised in the air and one hand on her waist. Hope is sort of crouched down, like, you know, with her, her legs kind of shoulder width apart and then her, her knees are a little bent. And then she's got one hand held right out in front of her with her fingers played. And the other one is forming a fist that's up by her, her head with her elbow back. Oh, very, yeah. uh, how to draw manga. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever been called out that hard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, Zen. What, what, are, what is your pose? So Zen has uh, one foot out in front of her, one foot behind her in a sort of fighting stance, tail curled slightly around, and she's holding her cutlass out in front of her in both hands. Dope. And then, yeah, as soon as you guys finish your roll call and poses, somehow there is a mysterious explosion behind you guys. Yeah, colored smoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And smoke. But we don't look at it because we're cool. Yeah, yeah. You can't look at it. And then this rogue ranger here, kind of still sitting in their very casual position, they just slow clap. They are so sassy. <laughs> they are super sassy. Well, Zen isn't very threatened by this. There are three of us and one of them. I like those odds a little too much. <laughs> okay, so who makes the first move here? Zen. Absolutely. So are we in our mechs? No, if you guys transform, since you guys posed, I would imagine you have like Hope is on one side, Zen's in the middle, uh, Lin is on the other side, and then you guys can either be all like posing atop one mech, or you guys are just posing atop each of your own mechs, and they're like, they're standing beside each other. I was thinking that. So I guess then Zen will uh, drop into the cockpit of her mech, and Salamander is going to charge... Describe how this looks. Is it swimming or is it like a Jesus lizard like running atop the wall? <laughs> it's not a Jesus lizard. It's um, it's like if you've ever seen sea iguanas swimming, kind of like with the tail churning back and forth. Aw, that's so cute. Sure. Okay, so you're just charging at them? Yes. Okay, so I will actually give you a, a token for head into danger without your squad. Like, I know you have your squad with you, but it's also like you're going in and like attacking first yeah there was no like plan or announcement i'm just like yeet yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you're charging in i'm gonna say to this person this was kind of telegraphed and so like as you're about to make a head-on collision their majestic flap flap jumps into the sky and like flies in the air before like diving back into the water where their form slash shadow is like you can see it still but they are obscured at the moment Zen sort of shoots past where this mech used to be, the water boiling and turning the steam behind her, and sort of comically turns around like, huh? <laughs> Where'd they go? <laughs> Hope is going to go ahead and display some reckless fighting technique. As Zen's charging in, she's pretty sure she can guess where this is going to go, especially if this person is so dangerous, and kind of try and intercept them up at top, regardless of pretty much whatever else is, is happening or anyone else in the way. But she's just going to kind of charge in full speed, seeing if she can go ahead and, and, and cut the, the... I didn't want to call it a flat flat, but now I've forgotten the name for it, because that's all we've been calling the stupid thing. Stingray. <laughs> uh, the Stingray. She's going to try and, and intercept the Stingray with her shark. Just, you know, chomp down on it. Bring it back. 
for sure. You can pinpoint them kind of underneath the water pretty easily. They have receded from their very casual sitting position, and now they're sort of like crouched down atop their sea bat thing and have like one hand on the top to like maintain their balance. And so you you see them. I'm going to say because, you know, you acted very quickly while they were posturing a little bit. You are able to meet them and take a chomp off their flat flap. So you hear like this gnarly crunching of like metal and this little uh, sea bat makes like a pained flat flap noise. I don't know if stingrays make noises. Um, I'm going to say it's going to sound like a meow. That's valid. There's some like tendrils behind where the wings slash flat flap arms are. They would kind of like word of life and very quickly like try to pull away from you. But because you had chomped down so hard your fangs kind of like leave gashes down the wings of the sea bat are they still like standing outside of their mech's cockpit yes okay i'm gonna eject out and just start engaging them and then probably pass it over to to linda or whoever else they're gonna get engaged we can't make that joke every chapter (laughs) yes i will i'll find a way Uh, so basically, Hope jumps on top of their sea bat with them, and they're, like, about to fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think what I want to do is that I want to try and knock the purple one off of the flap flap. So to do that, I want to, I think, just try and smack them with the narwhal horn. You're just going to, like, full on, like, this tiny person compared to your mech, just, like, pummel them, like, like ram them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're under the water, right? Now they've breached the surface, so they're, like... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then, still, I'm still going to do that. They're going to land in the water. They'll be fine, probably, but they will be pissed off. Linda just won the game. She just impaled this person with, like, <laughs> a three-story mech and its horn. <laughs> well, the goal is to not impale them, just to knock them off or, or you know, knock the wind out of them or knock them on their back. Some kind of knocking. Knock, knock. Who's there? Knock them back, knock them down, knock them up. No, not not Whoa, up. No, 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 no. Don't you put those words in my mouth. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use one of my tokens to improvise a near perfect weapon. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So you see like their shadow surging back up and track that movement. And so your narwhal is charging forward and you kind of like perfectly not spear right through them, killing them instantly, but you do like hit them with heavy force and they get like smacked right off their sea bat and they kind of gain some air just because of the force and trajectory of the the hit. Uh, But instead of actually dropping into the water, the scarf around their neck almost like comes to life and the fabric stretches out and morphs into like wings, but they're, you know, the material almost changes and they kind of flap in place to like get their position and, and kind of like stable lies they would draw the pistol and then they would aim it right at hope and just like fire off a shot uh i'm gonna react by taking temporary cover uh what do you hide behind we're on the stingray right yes i'm gonna go ahead and like reach down and punch the ground which blasts off some of the like the bolts and the seams that's holding the metal there and then i'm just gonna like bend the metal up are you skinning my mech yes that's horrible. <laughs> it's a robot. Yeah, but they're like zoys. They're like kind of sentient. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you do that. There's just a painful shriek as you're ripping the skin off this fucking robot. 
So I think Zen sees this mystery person taking shots at Hope, and so Zen is going to do that uh, sucking in water and blowing it out as steam again. Hot steam that our suits presumably protect us from mostly, but it will give Hope some additional cover. Are they also being carried away by the force of this air, or...? It is pretty forceful, and it's, it's hot and wet, so it's forceful, but probably not, like, enough to knock anyone into the water. Okay, you come up behind them, they're lighting off shots at Hope, but they weren't expecting your interference there, so it blows them around, like, knocks their aim off. So what they're going to do then, their sea pancake will dive back into the ocean. With them on it? They're not on it. They're like in the air above the ocean right now. With Hope on it? Yeah, Hope's on it, yeah. You're going to start feeling this robot shake underneath you, Hope. And all of a sudden there's like sudden jerky motions, like kind of pulling and shifting. And you realize um, as its form is changing, that is exactly what it is doing. It is taking on a humanoid form as like the wings fold in and like hands extend out and it's i hate this word but yes it is like a single zord turning into a humanoid <laughs> hope uh is gonna have to find a way to sort of stay on board the flat flap which is now a flat human actually hope is going to fail to react and overexert herself and grab a token so she's gonna try and hold on as much as she can when she knows she should probably let go but she's gonna try and tough out and ultimately make a poor decision in that one as she's dragged underwater and then probably rather violently thrown off as it does a particular uh, swerve and, and end up straining her arm or something similar but you know maybe bonk into another part of it and be dazed for a second and so as it finishes this transformation it actually surges back up and reaches the ocean and appears behind this mysterious ranger and immediately like rears back and throws a punch at Zen's salamander, like right where the cockpit would be. So I have a question. Hope, are you on the new humanoid robot? No, she's in the water now. Okay. Currently under the surface, trying to get her bearings after being thwacked in the head. So Linda's reaction to the former Flap Flap diving under the water is to also dive underwater and make sure that Hope is okay and can be surfaced easily. So Linda's going to dive under and scoop her up at the narwhal and surface. Okay. Zen, how would you react to this robot throwing a punch at you? Uh, How big is this robot compared to the salamander? It's only like a little bit bigger just because of how it reformed its shape. The salamander will uh, lift up its front legs at these patty fingers and basically catch this robot's fist. With its, with its little lizard paws. <laughs> it's doing that robot thing where they're like, they have hands locked and they're like pushing against each other and no one's really getting the upper hand. We have to button mash to see who wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as this is happening, wherever your cockpit is, the ranger has now descended upon the window and is kind of like perched upon it like a gargoyle, like kind of obscuring your sight. And I'm going to say they're going to hold their fist, the gauntlet fist, to the window. And they are clearly about to do something to try to blast through the window. Zen smashes on a button in the mech to pop the cockpit open. And I'm trying to like fling this person off. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. 
Yeah, I think that would work. You're gonna pop the cockpit open as soon as they like let out this like blast of magical energy from their goblet. As it flips open, it cracks and doesn't quite shatter, but like it's definitely falling apart a bit as they are like flung into the air. Where is the cockpit in position to like the rest of the salamander? Because I'm just trying to figure out like is it on their head and they just like now on the back of the salamander? Right, in the head. Okay, so the cockpit flies open. They're kind of like still clinging onto the window. And I think they yell at you from the top of the robot. Are you really fine with the fight being three on one? Seems kind of weak to me. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Zen does not have a verbal response to that, but the cockpit is now open. So Zen hops out of her cockpit back onto the back of the salamander with her sword. Like, oh, you want to fight? You got one. I guess guess there there is a a missing missing link between between chickens chickens and lizards, lizards, right? That'd be you, probably. (gasps) That's so mean. (laughs) Okay, at this point, Zen is going to let her temper cloud her judgment. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Zen is charging at this individual, forgetting about the whole they can fly thing, taking a a wild swing. Yeah, so definitely give yourself a token for that. Let your temper cloud your judgment. They would start firing shots at you as you're charging. How would you sort of react to that? Are you like kind of just like charging in, letting them hit you? Or are you like deflecting them or weaving in and out? Like, uh... Weaving in and out, but that's not a perfect solution. Zen will be able to avoid most of the hits that way, but not all of them. Right, it's still like kind of clipping you. She moves surprisingly fast for a large and armored lizard woman. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So how do you kind of cut into them once you're within distance? Zen is just going to take a powerful swing, and whether or not it hits them is not definite. You are very quick right now, but also because of your temper, your movements are telegraphed, but because of just how quick and powerful your movements are, they try to like be all sly and like step back, but they kind of misjudge the distance of your swing, and it does kind of like cut, kind of like a glancing blow across their suit, which would in turn kind of, you know, draw some blood. But they're not deterred by this. They're just like laughing and like cackling because they know they baited you. (laughs) I do also want to say it was a sick burn, but the missing link between lizards and chickens is dinosaurs. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Zen doesn't know that though, so it was a sick burn. (laughs) So I think like as they step back, even though you you cut into them and they do take some damage there, they would draw their own short sword and try to cut into like whatever exposed flank that you have. They are definitely not as practiced as you are with a sword. So they're not as practiced, but Zen is also like in a sort of battle rage. And and is not entirely used to the armor yet, so it's not going to be like a completely one-sided fight. Mm-hmm, right. Also, Zen is a real big target, and so I think it's just like back and forth, like swords hitting against each other. How tall is Zen? About seven feet. Holy shit. You've got like a foot and a half over them. Like, so on top of just being stronger, like they're definitely faster than you are. So they're very good at like dodging your attacks maybe and kind of like slipping to the side and trying to like do little cuts at you. But like when they bring up a sword to parry you, your blow very obviously pushes them down. And sword fighting is exhausting. When they hit against each other and Zen is muscling, Zen just puts her weight behind it 
and pushes forward. Okay, so I kind of imagine that it's like going back and forth on the back of the salamander. But before we continue with that, what are Hope and Linda doing? So Linda has surfaced with Hope on her back, but Linda has seen that Zen is now out fighting the other Oranger on the back of the salamander. So I think Linda's first instinct is going to want to go and give Zen backup, but she wants to make sure Hope is okay first. Hope's going to take a bit of time to recover, but what she does, she's all gung-ho for getting up there and helping Zen out. Okay, so then I think Linda is going to give her a hand and pull Hope to her feet, and once she makes sure that she's okay, they can ride the narwhal over together. So before the narwhal can, like, get to the salamander, the humanoid sea bat would intercept, you know, just kind of, like, step in the way, guarding this fight. Hope is going to look at it and then look over at Linda and say, go ahead, I've got this one. And then I'm going to go ahead and spend one of my tokens to do a heavy turn, which is clear the way of adversaries during a brawl. Oh, nice. That is very nice. Which will pave the way for Linda to go through. Okay, so you're fighting this human sea bat with your shark, right? Yeah, so she's going to go ahead and and get into her shark and then start just... It's a humanoid shape, and she is a shark in the water, which gives her the inherent advantage. So she goes for the legs first, wants to get it down into the water, and then after that it's just, you know, we've all seen Jaws. It has offensive capabilities, but it's not super mobile. So it's trying to, like, punch at you. It's trying to, like, punch your shark in the face. It's trying to boop you in the snoot, what uh, Zen did to Sharkman Hookhand. But yeah, you are just, like, swimming circles around this thing, like, biting at it. There's crackles of, you know, magical energy that are discharging from you breaking into its armor and stuff like that. So Linda is on her way over to Zen and this mysterious person. You know, kind of in the distance, you can kind of tell that, like, Zen has the advantage a bit. Zen is overpowering them, and they are kind of, like, on a knee, trying to parry the sword swing from above. This whole time, they haven't really given an air of, like, distress. Like, it's all very... It's like they're having fun with this, they would say. Are you really just happy taking orders and not thinking about what else there is? Do you even know if you're doing the right thing? And are they saying that to Linda? They're saying that to Zen right now, but we we can say Linda can hear for dramatic effect. Yes, Linda can hear for dramatic effect. Zen doesn't like to think about those things too hard and doesn't plan to start today. (laughs) (laughs) Does she not respond then? Zen's going to answer a question with a question. Zen is like bearing down on this person, swords together, basically pushing them down with her sword against theirs. And I'm going to use a token and do a heavy turn to ask someone who is really behind this. Ooh, okay. How would you phrase that in character? Zen's response to these uh, this flurry of questions is along the lines of, I don't have to answer to you. You don't know me. <laughs> and who the hell are you to ask? I guess this is, I wonder if this is actually something in the rules, like mechanically speaking, do I have to give a direct answer to this? Because you do use a token for it and it'd feel fucked up to not give you an answer for this. I think the only real rule in this rule book is like, do what's most narratively interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like there aren't going to be any hard feelings from me if I don't get you to like give away everything. Like. <laughs> right. So I think you asked, who the hell are you to ask that? they would say. Maybe if you actually use your head, you'd be able to figure it out pretty easily. And their tail would kind of like whip out from behind them and grab your ankle and basically like try to pull you off balance. 
At this point, Linda is going to put her shoulder down like a linebacker and just barrel into this person. She isn't sure that she can like take them, but they aren't paying attention to her. They may not even know she's there. So yeah, if this person successfully like knocks Zen off her feet, they're still like recovering because they're still like on one knee. They're like off balance. They're tired as hell. Linda comes out of nowhere and just like tackles right into them. So how do you imagine that kind of resolving? I think how that's going to resolve is that uh, Linda's going to knock them right on their face. And because of the way she knocked them over, she's going to have the ability to like pin them basically. So Zen might be down, but now Linda is like sitting on the back of this other person. Okay. Um, hmm, this is a compromising position to be in. So I think at this point, Linda is going to say, you are not nice at all. I don't like how you talk to my friends and you are going to give us that gem and you are going to tell us who you are (laughs) so they're still kind of chuckling but they're very like out of breath and they're tired um they're not really fighting they can for sure tell that they've lost this fight right at this moment so they're just kind of laughing and they're just like oh you don't don't think think i'm nice that makes me really sad i'm so so sorry that you don't think i'm nice don't be sassy with me (laughs) oh but you make it so easy I don't like you at all. Okay, yeah, let's say, what does Hope do if she's doing anything? You're beating the shit out of this mech. Depends on if the mech has had the shit beat out of it yet by now. What is, like, kind of your finishing blow here? As it's, like, crackling, it's starting to, like, come undone at the edges. Like, it looks like it's about to go back to flat black form. She's going to jump out of the mech and land uh, on the salamander with her friends as her shark turns itself into a drill and just pierces the other robot right through the chest. Oh my god, that's so cool. (laughs) And explodes. The flap flap explodes. So she's gonna walk up and say, sorry I'm late. Had some fishing to do. (laughs) Zen, what do you, uh, kind of what did you do in reaction to these few split seconds of stuff that happened? So when the opponent's tail, like, wrapped around her her ankle, most of Zen's body weight was behind her sword. So she does get knocked off of her feet in that moment. But uh, now we're all here, right? Yes. I would like to make a proposal to the group. Go for it. I propose that we do a squad turn, which is when the squad is all suited up, their weapons may combine into an ultimate attack. Hell yeah. Are you going to beat this person up when they're pinned down on the floor? <laughs> Clearly, we're going to have to jump away to do it. But I mean, come on, Bappy. You've seen <laughs> you've seen Sentai. You know how this goes. We combine the weapons. There's some explosions. They're fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Describe to me how your weapons combine and what happens. Like, what does this combined weapon look like? So it's a small sword, a big sword, and some punchy gloves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both small swords. One is just, like, thicker than the other. So I'm trying to decide if it turns into, like, a giant pair of Wolverine hands or if it turns into something that's just complete garbage nonsense. (laughs) Consider a giant hammer where you have the long sword is the, like, the, the wooden grip part and then you can put the gloves on either end of the short sword and then attach that to the long sword. Oh. So now you've got fundamentally a giant hammer shape. Oh, yeah. Giant hammer is the right answer. Yes. <laughs> okay. So usually with these types of things, you got the other rangers at the side and reds front and center, kind of like holding the, the core of the weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like when it, this, this weapon gets fired? 
as a giant hammer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it actually gets fired, but I think what they do do is they slam it into the ground, which causes like a, a blast wave to spring up, and that's what, you know, sends them flying into the air. I don't I don't know if we can fire a projectile so much, but we can definitely swing it and make a big old Oh yeah, like a shock wave. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. it. That's the word I was looking for. I like that. I think that. So we all put our we all have our hands on it and uh, slam it down together. Yes. Yeah, Zen, Zen raises it up, and then we all have our hands on it and just push it down and generate the shockwave, and, and that's our finisher. That's our ultimate attack. Nice. I love it. All right, so you guys smash this this hammer down onto the surface of the ground, which is the salamander, but it's fine. It's magic, so it doesn't get hurt. And then kind of like a shockwave of iridescent pink energy sends straight through the ground. And as it gets closer and closer to the prone enemy, it gets bigger and bigger until they are completely engulfed in this magical energy that basically fucking nukes them, I guess. They're still on the floor. They were already on the floor. Um, but now they're, the, the suit is like ripped up at places. Their body is just like smoking from getting blown up. And they're just kind of laying there on the back. So I have two questions. Well, three questions. Yes. So one is, are they still alive? Yes, because okay. they are very slowly raising a hand and they gave you a thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Can we see, like, what color is their skin? Let's see, are they, are they out of the suit? Um, not yet, because for dramatic effect, you can see tears in their suit, though. I fucking called it, I, but money. <laughs> so, yes, the, the color of their skin, is that what you asked? Yes. Are they purple is the question that yes. I'm asking. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. And then question number three is, now that they're basically a pile of humanoid jello, can we just take the gem, the key, the thing? Yeah, if you if you can get the key from them. I'll say while you guys were fighting them, you could tell where the key was. The gun was their changer. That's where they slot their key into. So if someone wants to go get the key, go for it. They're just laying there. I hope we'll go ahead and, and stride up and pick up the gun. Okay, so as you're walking towards them, they actually hold out the gun and kind of by like the handle, it's like hanging from a finger with like the key slot facing out towards you. And they just push up onto their elbow as you kind of approach them. And as you kind of grab the gun or reach for the key, they're just like, you didn't didn't think think it was going to be that easy, did you? <laughs> Similar to what happened at the end of Lancer, they get beamed away. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> With the gun? With the gun. Oh. <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> as soon as they got beamed out and you guys are kind of standing there, your mission is complete, question mark. And so you all are also kind of like sucked out of this world and it's just like very sudden it's like a game over in a video game and you guys are just (sighs) out of this world i I imagine we just like land on our butts back in the library i was about to say i feel like linda immediately (laughs) sits down on the floor and she feels both kind of upset that they exploded a living shark man and (laughs) also probably equally to more upset that they failed when they were so close so Rill would kind of run up to you guys and Dumpling is on their head and they're just like, uh, are you guys okay? Rill. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're fine, I think. Um, no major injuries. I think I got shot once. You got shot? It's are fine. Are you okay? Yeah, it's not the first time. Does Dumpling uh, know how what? to mix drinks? Can you bring me a margarita? 
uh, Dumpling? And Dumpling looks down at them, does a little nod, hops off and rolls away, presumably to go get you a margarita. <laughs> Consolation margarita. Zen is just kind of sitting there, like, kind of shocked, like, fists clenched, like, I can't believe we lost another one. It got away, Rail. Is this happening to anyone else? I mean, I, we could probably ask around, yeah. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of teams, right? You can't win them all. It can't just be us. I don't think, I mean, we could, I mean, that would suck. That'd be actually kind of funny, huh, if it was just us. <laughs> that would suck, but, uh, no, I mean, I think it's okay. I'm cursed. The missions I go on, someone takes something. Uh, that's not true. You were in, uh, Sweetgrass. Well, I did almost get eaten by a plant, so maybe I'm just differently cursed. No, it's okay, Linda. Uh, you want a cookie that you made? Linda will very kind of, uh, sadly take it out of your hand and start gnawing on it. Very awkwardly hug you? Try to pull all of you into a hug? The hug is nice. Yeah, several moments later, uh, Dumpling does waddle back in. There is a serving plate strapped onto their back with several mixed drinks. How did they do that? How did they equip the serving plate? I don't know. <laughs> I was just wondering that. <laughs> but there it is. Aw, thanks, Dumpling. Does Hope drink? Hope can't drink. I don't actually think she, like, gets drunk except with, like, very specific kinds of perhaps magical alcohol, because, you know, robot. Somehow Dumpling knew that? Oh, then yes. <laughs> so this is, was that the same person as, as last time? I don't remember Desi being purple before, so I'm going to go ahead and say no. Desi doesn't have a tail either. Or horns. No, that's true. And now Zen kind of turns and looks at Rill a little bit. Gears turning. Not quite there yet. <laughs> oh, poor Zen. <laughs> Rill, do you have any... Brothers or sisters who look exactly like you? Uh, exactly like a twin? Yes. No, I don't have any twins. Hmm. Wait, wait, it didn't look exactly like real. Zen will pipe up. The horns were different. Oh, that is true. Do you have a brother or sister or other sibling who maybe looks exactly like you except the horns are upside down? So me, like, they're purple and tail and- And, and little wings and similar horns but upside down? Uh, no. Also, kind of a dick. <laughs> what, I'm a dick? No. No, the person that we ran into. Uh, Real just like, because, you know, they were watching you, but they were just like, it all probably happened pretty quickly, and so they're still trying to catch up with what was going on, <laughs> like, process it. You know, let's talk about this, um, it, as long as you all are okay. I think Dumpling can make us more mixed drinks, so why don't we go over to the bar? I think Dumpling found a bar the other day. That That's probably where it got the, uh, the serving platter. You know shit's dire when a rail is offering to take us to a tavern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of a downer ending. I apologize, but we'll get there. No, I think that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just all of it. Yes. So, yeah, how? what did everyone think of Pension? So as someone who doesn't have, like, any knowledge of these tropes, I really enjoyed it. I feel like it would have been enhanced if I knew a little bit more about these sorts of tropes and themes. But as someone who didn't, I still thought it was a lot of fun and there's a lot of, like, stuff to explore. Um, some of that, of course, is the world that you created for us, which um, was neat because there were unicorns there. 
well, the unicorns were on you, so you can thank yourself. <laughs> Thanks, me. But I mean, it's hard to just improv. Is it really hard to just improv a game? Oh, God, it's so hard. There's not as yeah. much to say about the rules because it was mostly just improv telling a story. Yeah, so I also don't really know much about this particular genre, but I do know a lot about like Saturday morning cartoons. So I was kind of trying to like play into that. I think there's a lot of like overlap there. So Oh, for sure. But yeah, the improv was tricky for me. I think I started to get more comfortable with it as we went along. But I'm the kind of person who like, if I don't have stuff written down ahead of time, it's hard for me to come up with stuff on the spot. But what I do really like about this system is sort of the ebb and flow of the like risk versus reward how you kind of have to like take hits to gain the tokens that let you then do really cool things. And I just think that's a, for, for telling a narrative story like that, it really helps to uh, keep things going, I think. And it, it kind of makes you like, I got to be a real badass in this game. Oh, for sure. But in order to do that, I had to make sure to fuck up occasionally. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was definitely different than games where it's like, I am going to win and the goal is to win. And I feel like the goal in this one was more to tell a story. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got familiarity with not technically Sentai series, but a lot of Power Rangers. And this was definitely, I can see very much how the system is set up for that kind of like, I mean, it's definitely set up for most how most Power Rangers series go, which is, you know, something happens in civilian life and then the monster invades and they spend some time fighting it and then they lose and then they regroup and then they come back and then they, you know, they beat the monster and then the monster gets big and they bring in the robots and then they have the robot fight and then they kill the monster. But it's it's very much built for that take a loss now, use it to power something later style, which is pretty essential to a lot of how those shows run just on a pure episode by episode basis. I think we definitely had some getting used to the, just the lack of dice where it was basically just like, yeah, we're just going to do this now and go from there, you know. We kind of, I think we got more used to it by the end, but overall it's, it's definitely, you know, I haven't done a pure diceless system before, you know, all my stuff has been Fader or Monster of the Week or, or D&D or some derivative of it. So it was, it was different to use that as the core rule rather than just, you know, basic guideline, but also those dice. Yeah. Okay. So obviously the flavor is very cool. I don't know how I feel about a completely diceless system just yet. I think my experience is going to be different from you all's because it's like narrators kind of have tokens. It's but it's more like how in Monster of the Week or you know other systems similar, the, there's like keeper guidelines, right? It's more like that. It, they're more like guidelines to help you make the narrative interesting and less like you have these rules that you need to follow. You have tokens that you must keep track of, and that's like you know as you guys said, that's like the main gameplay mechanic. I can't speak to that because. Quite frankly, I didn't have to use it. So I can go more into my critical thoughts on it, but I kind of want to hear more. If you guys have more to say on maybe things you didn't like or things you struggled with, sounds like improv and dicelessness was kind of the two big ones. Yeah, I feel like a game like this takes a lot of confidence because Mm -hmm. you're making a move And I think what held us up a lot of the time was, all right, I'm making an attack on this enemy. You kind of have to have the confidence to decide for yourself, does this attack succeed or fail? Because there's no dice to roll. You kind of just have to go with what you think is most interesting. And for me, like, I'm trying to do this and I'm thinking like, oh, I hope this doesn't mess up anything Bappy has planned. Or I hope like everyone else is okay with 
with me doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a game that gets better and easier the more you play it and the more you sort of get a feel for the group dynamic. And I think we do have a pretty strong group dynamic already because the three of us at least have been playing together for a while and uh, Ember's uh, been in a short game with us before, but we were still new to the system and there was still a bit of a learning curve there. And it's just the learning curve wasn't really learning the rules, but sort of learning how to find our own agency within this play style. Yeah, Yeah. it's more like behavior and like conditioning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You can definitely tell that we all have dice backgrounds. (laughs) We're old and we're held up by RP rules we grew up with where it's like, no god moding, you can't do that. I think I think part of it is that because Henshin is so heavily built on tropes, I, I almost feel like not knowing how Sentai and how Power Rangers goes is kind of a detriment. Because, I mean, as noted, we're going through the episode and it's the first fight where we're morphed and I'm like, okay, I know how this is going to go. But, like, not knowing that there's this constant back and forth in Power Rangers episodes and that, you know, kind of the heroes are expected to lose before coming back and winning. Or, you know, that everyone knows the monster gets big at the end. But, you know, no- knowing all these specific plot beats for how most Super Sentai or Power Rangers series even go, I I think, can kind of work against you, especially if you're not used to the diceless system of just saying, like, I'm going to do this thing, and then you all now have to deal with it. Not, you know, that maliciously or anything, but that kind of attitude of, like, you know, I I declare this action, and now it's true, and now we yes and off of it. Right. How how do you, Dork and Ziva, feel? You know, you guys are kind of our guinea pigs here, because Ember and I have experience with this genre and series. Did you feel that it was kind of like a detriment and held you back at a lot of points or? So I didn't feel like it was a super detriment, but I did find it challenging to figure out what I could do that sort of fell in the middle ground between literally the stuff that's listed on the turns and the stuff that like was completely different than that. I didn't have that sort of bridging where I could go from take action, leaving yourself vulnerable to like think of similar things just because I don't have any grounding in these tropes. So it was like, I don't know what like the right next thing to do is. I I kind of need to just do my best. And so I struggled a little bit with thinking about what to do um, just because like I said, I don't have any grounding in this. So it wasn't like, oh, this is the point where X, Y, and Z would happen in the episode or I can borrow this move from whatever. I think that's something that we don't necessarily like to talk about when we talk about role playing is how much stuff we draw from other pop culture. Like, I think it would be almost impossible to play Dungeons and Dragons without having grounding in some other major fantasy thing. And I think that this is is similar. And because I don't have basically any grounding in this, I sometimes struggled to think of things. And then I would like go look at the turn sheet. And I'm like, that's like 15 things. That's not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's not necessarily a problem with the system, but I do think that's a case where um, having some more grounding would have really helped. Yeah, for sure. Uh, What about you, Dorka? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think Ember is right about how that would help because a big thing for me when we were playing that was in these fight scenes without dice to kind of guide us, without hit points or anything, what I was wondering the whole time was like, when am I allowed to win? At what point do I finish this? And I think that's just because I don't have the background and the familiarity with sort of the basic pacing of this genre. 
Yeah, like that's that's that is an immense part of the show, and like each episode is like in in most times if they're depending on the monster, you know, if they're fighting it one on one, they're going to lose. You know, if if they're fighting it before some of the crew members have shown up, they're going to lose. Even then, it's like there there's always a time when you can tell like either they're all together and they've all kind of gotten one or two hits in, and then you know they all pull out the guns and make a team attack, and you know the team attack is. I mean, honestly, in like 90% of situations, that's what finishes it. Either it's all of them acting at once or all of them combine their weapons or or something similar to actually like, quote unquote, win the fight. You know, at that point, usually the monster gets big and then they pull in the, the zords or whatever. But like there's there is always a very specific point in the episode where it's like, ah, yes, OK, now we can win because the monster has been staggered back or something. So now we all take the 20 seconds of real time to combine our weapons while he just sits there or something. I will give you guys insight on what I was thinking kind of throughout this. As you all mentioned, the pacing in parallel to what an actual Super Sentai or Power Rangers episode, it is definitely very useful because even thinking back now, I sort of did that naturally throughout the play, throughout each fight. At points, I tried to guide you guys through that. So for instance, when you first transformed, I was like, oh, right. Whenever that happens, they need to have like a showcase of their abilities with mooks where they win because it's supposed to be like this big tremendous moment and so whenever that happens you get a big win for that and then in the last fight with the rogue librarian there you use your finishing move and actually that was another thing i was thinking of where it was like power levels don't exist in like toku and maybe this wasn't like the best way for me to have introduced this fight so the main reason I introduced that was because, one, it's a trope in the genre where the evil sixth ranger is like a comrade or something that's been like a turncoat or something like that. It's just like a, a corrupted good guy. And I was like, that fits really well with the kind of corrupted archivist or evil AU archivist theme we had going set place by Desi's appearance. And then the second one is because that would play kind of directly in in parallel to that kind of overarching plot point, I was like, yeah, let's let's do that. To go back to my point about how there's not really power levels. It's always like when this evil ranger person shows up, it's like they come in and they like wreck everyone's shit. And it's like, oh man, this person's like so powerful. What the fuck are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. That works in a show and that works in a long form henshin game. That does not work <laughs> when we're doing a shorter campaign. So that is my primary issue because basically the pacing for this had to be different when I planned it out because one, we're supposed to display the rules of the games we play. So I was like, okay, what is a way for me to match the pacing of all these turns and what like an arc would be and stuff like that while also kind of going through the entire plot in a somewhat satisfying manner. As you can imagine, like a Super Sentai series tends to be 40 to 50 episodes, you know, and each arc is like a turning point in the plot, which we can't do because that's we don't have 50 episodes worth of recording time to do that. So at least on my end, a big difficulty for me was trying to match all these pieces together and fit it into this format, which is like, honestly, a hang up we have about a lot of games, which is understandable because most games are meant to be played over a long period of time. And we're not doing that. So but I think especially for Henshin, this is very true, because there isn't a gameplay mechanic where you can just this is how you roll dice. This is how you roll attacks. The whole point is to tell a story to showcase character growth that is difficult to do within 
a shorter period of time. It's more like a movie. And so I was trying to match the beats of maybe what like a Sentai movie would be like. But even then, that's not quite the same. So I actually wonder about that because I think like this was a fun game and I did enjoy it. But I was thinking when you were talking just now about like what a campaign of this would look like. And I know that there are the raises that power you up slightly. That's one of the, th- the things in the rule book. But it's so it's like every session, one person gets a raise, one person gets some sort of advancement or power up. But there are only a couple of options. And it just kind of makes me wonder, like, if we were playing a long form game of this, doing like episode by episode, it feels to me like it might not last very long before it started to feel repetitive, because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of meaningful power up in this sort of system. Like the the power up kind of comes over the course of the episode where first you transform into your suit and then you get your mech and then you can combine your mechs. And I don't know, I feel like if this is based on tropes and an episode kind of follows a set structure, then it seems like playing this long form would get kind of repetitive kind of fast. To kind of bridge my knowledge of how toku stuff works with the mechanics here power-ups are ways to introduce toys in this into tv show so generally there are raises where it's like you get a new weapon so like if i was trying to actually market this what we did as like a sentai show make toys of it there'd be a bunch of different keys because right now these keys were just to make you guys transform in a show these keys would be used to give you like power-ups and stuff like that so what that could mean a new form a new weapon all this stuff so throughout the first 10 episodes because that's about a quarter maybe every episode or every other episode you would introduce a new key to be like yeah check out this new toy that gives you i don't know a super buff arm and you can like punch people so that's how that would work Once you get to like episode 20, episode 30, there aren't really raises in the sense of gamifying it, like with Henshin, where you get a power up or whatever. It's mostly like your character learns a lesson and there's character growth and there is maybe a couple bigger power ups. Um, Usually Red will get like a big power up around the second quarter somewhere. But yeah, after that like initial 10 episode, it's sort of like what you said, there aren't that many raises. And then at that point, it should... Should be the progression of story is to actually learn more about the story and then kind of sprinkle throughout the rest of it you occasionally do get like new cool toys this is all just kind of backing up what you said and that i agree the raise system seems a little slim because it is so dependent on getting an actual concrete tangible power up and yeah that would get repetitive which is why they don't keep doing that throughout a super sentai series it strikes me very much as the same kind of thinking that went into the monster of the week level up system which is where you're expected to level up like at least once or twice a mystery where at a certain point you you either just become so powerful so fast or you have to retire the character to start someone new like these this was clearly built for this is going to take three months and then like assuming you play every week and you finish one episode per day which you know i think is kind of the intention you're going to be done your game in like three months Mm -hmm. yeah it's not built to match the kind of 40 episode long power ranger series or, or sentai series i could see this going out for you know 15 maybe 20 sessions if you decide to just slow things down and really really kind of dive into stuff but i this is just i'm not seeing this as a game that's meant to be longer than a couple of months assuming that you play every week right yeah that's fair this definitely 
definitely feels more like a like a midterm game. Like you have ones that are designed to be played in a short number of sessions and ones that are designed to be played almost indefinitely. And this sort of seems like a sweet spot in the middle. And I feel like if you were introducing someone to the idea of role playing and they already really liked these Super Sentai type shows, that this would be a really good fit. But I think that as someone who comes from a D&D universe who's used to games being either very short or very, very long, it's sort of an odd duck. It is a, a really unique system. And it's just something that just like I don't have any like grounding for in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's different. I think things that would have just made play easier was for sure there were definitely times where I just forgot about turns. If I had kept everyone's turns more in mind and made that ebb and flow more concrete, I think that would have facilitated play and progress a little bit more easily. So listeners, if you decide to play this, learn from my mistakes. Don't forget about your turns or your players' turns. It makes things more concrete if you have issues with structure, which we do because we're used to doing games with dice and like rules. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird that there's there is no like player introduction for this like there's a game overview and you know instead of you know it says instead of dice you can just make these choices which is nice and you know it, it says it talks about you know yes and an improvisation sense but i think with so many people having been brought into the hobby from dice based games especially dungeons and dragons uh, you know a potentially longer even just a side section about like you know this is going to be a little weird because there is no dice but you know maybe just like a a, a briefing and an actual improvisational basics mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can find those all over the place might be good to do that. Yeah, like, and they give play examples in the book. I'm trying to remember if there is a specific section on improv, but the book itself is pretty light, which is good in some ways because it's very easy to read. In some ways, this was, I guess, a little closer to my role-playing roots, which is, like, forum-based text RP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But even there, like, I have time to, like, think about what I'm going to write out and don't have to come up with things, like, necessarily on the spot. But I have definitely had situations in games like that, text-only games, where it's like, if you're in a conflict with someone else without some sort of dice or element of randomness, like, someone has to decide to be the person to take the hit or take the loss. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, things kind of grind to a halt and you have to figure out how to resolve those things. I saw elements of that here. Oh, yeah, 100%. We're all old and we grew up with that kind of role playing where it's like in our minds, we're like no god moding. You can't like control other people's characters in any way because that makes people upset. But it's like in this game, there is kind of an agreement that that is going to happen because otherwise nothing's gonna get done. (laughs) Yeah, right. And aside from maybe us not being the most comfortable with Diceless, I know Ember has like a theater background. Most of us do not. So we're not the best with like improv and stuff like that. I mean, even then it like, you know, I'd read over the rules and everything, but I I hadn't like shifted into that particular mindset Mm -hmm. at the start. And, you know, being the the newer person, there's always the worry, especially from a new person perspective of like, you have to figure out the group dynamics, then you have to fit into the group dynamics. Like, you know, Ember is my friend. Originally, I was kind of in the position because I know everyone here. I've known Dorka and Zebo for a very long time and I role play with Ember a fuck ton, like thousands of pages of shit within the past couple of years. But even then it's like, it was still kind of hard, but also part of that's like performing audio based. And so yeah, even having that connection and sense of comfort with everyone here, it was still difficult for me as well. But um, I don't know. 
what what is people's consensus on this? Like a TLDR, what did you think? Who would you recommend this to? We're all terrified of improv, and that's why we started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a bunch of theater friends or people who are like forum role players who really, really love this genre, and you want to be the one to introduce them to tabletop games, this is like the perfect game for you. If you're someone who's not super into improving and isn't necessarily super familiar with Super Sentai, maybe not so much, but it's not a hard system to learn and try. So it's definitely got that going for it. Yeah, I think it's funny how we've swung from like a couple of rules heavy games in a row into this, the polar opposite of that. Yeah. I feel so naked. <laughs> naked and vulnerable. I have no rules covering me. <laughs> but no, like now that we have done this, I am very much interested in like finding and trying other diceless games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This was, I feel like, a good first one to play because it was really simple to learn and it had some structure. So it's not like we were just like bumbling it with like a like two sentence outline. I'm glad this is what we use to flex our muscles with um, before we get into other diceless games because I know that they come in a wide variety. And especially because it's so close to like Bappy's heart and they were able to uh, guide us through this thing that they love. Yeah, this has been like the fandom uh season yeah with with wheel of time for you guys and then super sentai and toku for me <laughs> all right yeah any uh closing words on anyone's part how, how did you feel ember in in general kind of being on the pod you can shit talk us if you want it's totally fine I had a lot of fun. It's a fun group to to be in, and I, I enjoyed that y'all are developing that. Not meta, but like the overarching aspect with these these things being stolen. It's, it's actually kind of funny because if if I were to use hopes like at the end of the Pathfinder game she was in power set, like a lot of these mysteries would just be solved. But <laughs> I mean, level twenty Pathfinder with full mythic tiers for anyone who knows what those are is nuts in terms of power level. I just find it was the irony of somebody giving her the slip for the first time in, you know, I don't know, a couple of centuries. That was <laughs> that was pretty funny to me. But no, I had a I had a really fun time. I'm glad I could could bring home back. Hope uh hope back again. Yeah. Now she's immortalized in library canon. So thanks for joining us. It was fun having you. Yeah. Yeah. And Ember's got a lot of GM experience, so hopefully we can have them on in the future to GM for us. I would absolutely love to come back and run a game for y'all. Actually, this has been doing, playing in a game now has, has helped me learn the constraints that I would need for something like this. I would love to, to come by and, and have some fun where Hope gets to, Hope gets to backseat and send in occasional witty comments. <laughs> well, on that note, our next chapter, we will get to see what it is like for us to have a guest GM on the Eternity Archives. Yes. Yeah. So on our podcast network, Be Gay, Roll Dice, one of our sister podcasts, Sword of Symphonies is an actual play podcast of a game that the GM, Cat has made themselves. Very cool, very different and interesting magic system. You should definitely check out their podcast. And they've also have the rule books like printed out and I, I got a copy. The book is beautiful. The writing is beautiful. The world is just so gentle and 
immersive. Yeah, just like in the literary sense, it's just like very romantic and like fantastical. I'm very hyped for it. I'm very interested to play in this game. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to have the opportunity to for all three of us to get to play together. Because the only time we've really gotten to do that was Rats and Rocks. And then we were just kind of rotating GMs as opposed to we're going to have like a, someone else anchoring for us while we get to explore. So it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's very exciting. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Ember, for being our guest. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. And see you guys or talk to you guys. Listen to my beautiful voice next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Au revoir. Have you ever wanted a podcast that tackles the hard questions? Like, why do wizards wear those pointy hats? Is it morally okay to burn your name into a table? Is there a difference between dead and never waking up? Well, if you've ever wanted to know the answers to any of these questions, then I have a podcast for you. We are Goblets and Gaze, a bi-weekly Pathfinder 2E podcast. Join our cast of an angsty barbarian, a pyromaniac goblin, a girl whose family loved astrology a little too much, a cultist, and a hot topic reject as they journey to a lost city and try to keep a twink alive. Follow us all on your social media at Goblets and Gays. Join our Discord as well, and we hope to see you out there. Goodbye. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Eternity Archives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash the Eternity Archives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.